Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Thank you for joining me today as we look at one of the most seismic changes taking place in America at the moment. It raises serious prophetic questions about where we are in the stream of time. What has just recently happened in American politics and jurisprudence is nothing short of astonishing. And as we examine the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh for Justice Kennedy's seat on the Supreme Judicial Bench, there is a lot to think about, and the consequences should cause you to think more deeply about our times and how to prepare for the coming of the Lord. Before we begin, I just want to point out that you need to renew your subscription with a yellow card in your packet. We do this every three years or so to make sure that our subscribers still want to receive the CDs we send. If you've sent us a gift or you have just signed up in, the, in 2018, we assume that you still want to receive the CDs. But it doesn't hurt to fill out the card today and send it in anyway. And thank you for any gift you send along with it. It really helps. If you've re already sent in your yellow card, you don't need to do it again, as this just makes extra work for our staff. We are in powerful times, and your partnership and support for Keep the Faith will reach more people with your message. And thank you for your sustaining support and gifts. Also, let me remind you that we have copies of the three-part DVD series called Religious Liberty in the Age of Trump. This special series was filmed at Secrets Unsealed, and included messages by Pastor Stephen Bohr, Stephen Wolberg of Whitehorse Media, and myself. Pastor Gary Jensen of the Fresno Central Seventh-day Adventist Church joined us for a two-hour roundtable discussion, which was extremely interesting. You will find that it is more relevant than ever in light of this change in the Supreme Court. If you haven't ordered your copy of this three-DVD set, call us at 540-672-3553. Or if you live in Australia, contact our Australian office at 03-5963-7011. The insights in these series will open your eyes to some things you may not have understood before. Also, don't forget to order our Prophetic Secrets of the New World Order DVDs that I did at Secrets Unsealed. This important 12-part eye-opening series will help you understand our times and how to prioritize events that take place in our world and determine which ones are prophetically important. It will also show you the sweeping movements of a religious organization to take over the world. Lastly, order your copy of Enduring Vision by Pastor Austin Cook. This man was one who endured much unjust treatment because of his stand on truth. Enduring Vision is his personal study of Revelation and will give you a solid insights into this enlightening book. As we begin, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are living in amazing times. Never before has the United States been so polarized. Our minds are often drawn to the events that are taking place around us and we realize that we are near the end. 
Every day brings fresh revelations of the signs of the times and the nearness of Jesus' return. Lord, as we consider the astonishing developments at the Supreme Court of the United States, as well as its geopolitical and global impact, we pray that your Holy Spirit will elevate our minds to understand these things in the light of the Bible and its end-time prophecies. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. My friends, there's a hand that is silently, secretly, stealthily manipulating the United States and other nations into collaboration and compliance with its own principles and plans. It is a religious organization that is also working with the enemy of souls to bring millions into captivity so that they will lose their own souls and in many cases lead others to ruin as well. Let us begin today with an important scripture from the book of Revelation chapter 18 verses 1 to 4. These verses refer to the secret hand of Rome that is manipulating the nations to come to her for guidance and counsel. It is weaving a web around them that will make it very difficult to break free, if they ever will. Once they are in the web, there is really no getting out of it. The ecumenical movement has been responsible for bringing Protestants, known as evangelicals, back into the bosom of Rome, and now they accept her involvement in political affairs because she helps them with their projects. And Rome's consistent presence under current of pressure on national leaders and around the world, its overarching hierarchy, and its global influence now makes Rome a powerful partner and ally in achieving evangelical political projects. But it happens that these projects are also Rome's projects. The ecumenical movement has brought evangelicals into line with Rome's agenda. They now collaborate together, as you will see. Has Rome been encouraging the polarization in America between liberals and conservatives? Well, the Jesuits brag that if there is a barrier in the street, you will find a Jesuit or a Jesuit-trained provocateur on both sides. They know what they are doing. They know that if they can push America to become polarized between left and right, liberal and conservative, and if they can get evangelicals on their own team, they will be able to create overreactions on the conservative right that will lead to a religious takeover of politics. Put another way, religious forces in the United States have been trying to get control of the Supreme Court for 50 years. Over the course of that half century, America has become increasingly polarized. Consequently, the jurisprudence has grown also ever more radical. What I'm saying is that often even conservative justices are no more committed to originalism and textualism than progressive judges. They use their seat on the bench to support their ideology, which is becoming ever more radicalized. Rome understands this. They will use these ideologically conservative judges to achieve their ultimate goal of enacting a Sunday law. America will form the image to the beast and enforce it. I'm not just speculating. Keep the Faith Ministry has documented these things in the past, some from Rome's own sources and, of course, from Bible prophecy. Much has been made of evangelical influence in American politics lately, but never forget that collaborating with the evangelicals is the Catholic Church working for her own ends, and her two-century-long experience in politics gives her influence that she would not otherwise have. She uses the wisdom of experience to achieve her own ends, 
and evangelicals are all too willing to help her out. Rome now has a powerful trifecta of influence in America. The evangelicals are now on her side. Politicians are on her side. And there is national acceptance of Rome's meddling in political affairs. Has Rome's deadly wound been healed? Perhaps not quite yet. But it is almost there. Justice Anthony Kennedy is a Roman Catholic. He was the so-called swing vote on the Supreme Court. He was instrumental in expanding legal abortion in the United States. He was also the key vote in enacting the federal same-sex marriage law. Liberals saw him, even at 81 years of age, as their best hope of keeping these progressive legal protections of their lifestyle in place. Now they're having a meltdown over the prospect of losing them. Perhaps they don't realize that the hand of Rome will work against them when it is in Rome's interest to do so. What's more, they are fighting against what Bible prophecy says will happen, and the Bible is far more powerful than they are. Let me ask you, do you think Kennedy was influenced by the bishops to resign? I cannot prove it, but I would not be surprised in the very least. And of all the courts in the world, in every country and every level of society, the U.S. Supreme Court is the most influential of all. While it does not have jurisdiction outside the borders of the United States and its territories, it is nevertheless a powerful court in terms of influence on many nations around the world. No court is quite like the U.S. Supreme Court in that way. What happens in America often leads other nations to make similar social and political arrangements. Listen to this statement from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 6, page 18. As America, the land of religious liberty, shall unite with the papacy, enforcing the conscience and compelling men to honor the false Sabbath, the people of every country on the globe will be led to follow her example. So America influences all other nations. Here's another one from the same book, page 395. Foreign nations will follow the example of the United States. And though she leads out, yet the same crisis will come upon our people in all parts of the world. When Justice Anthony Kennedy, Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States, resigned at the end of the court's term this year, the American left had a five-alarm fire, and, went, and it went on for weeks and weeks. They did not like the idea that Kennedy, the notorious swing vote on the Supreme Court, which had often voted in line with leftist ideals, especially on the social and cultural issues of our day, had resigned his position, giving Mr. Trump the opportunity to appoint a more reliably conservative justice. Kennedy's voting record was evident. He supported the progressives in cultural matters, but supported the conservatives in almost everything else. The big question in my mind is, knowing Kennedy's commitment to liberal social issues, why would he resign at a time when he knew that the President of the United States would nominate a more reliably conservative person to take his place? Mr. Trump is not likely to nominate another swing vote. Wouldn't Kennedy want to wait until at least after the midterm congressional election to see if the control of the Senate or of the House of Representatives would come back under the management of the Democrats, who would certainly help protect those progressive achievements? A change in control of the Senate would make it infinitely more difficult for Mr. Trump to get a reliable conservative in that seat. 
It seems really strange that a man of his intelligence would have missed that opportunity if he was that deeply committed to the progressive cause. And while only God knew the outcome of the election at the time of Kennedy's resignation, this point suggests that things are not as they seem. It suggests a specific purpose behind Kennedy's seemingly illogical and untimely resignation that belies his social and cultural liberalism. Could Kennedy have been a key part of the push to secularize America so that a more religious change could come upon the nation's political institutions? Could Kennedy's resignation have been under the unseen guiding hand of Rome in an effort to open a seat for a conservative on the bench to move America's jurisprudence clearly to the right? If that is true, then there's a larger question. Could Kennedy's decisions while on the court have also been influenced by the church to some extent? Privately, that is, behind the scenes. I know that it is not on the radar of the mainstream news, and I know that the church usually ridicules such ideas, but what if, in fact, that was true? Keeping it undercover would include denials by the organization sponsoring the secret influence. While we may never know the answer to these questions, this side of the millennium, they nevertheless reflect the principles that Rome uses in its work with nations. The Jesuits are masters of this game. Listen to The Great Controversy, page 235. Under various disguises, the Jesuits work their way into offices of state, climbing up to be counselors of kings and shaping the policy of nations. And the public is none the wiser. In other words, there could well be in our day those church representatives in position to influence men like Kennedy. My reason for this point is that Kennedy's resignation is so inconsistent that it would seem unlikely that he came to the conclusion without some guidance from unknown influences. One progressive said it was extraordinarily imprudent of Justice Kennedy to resign when he did. What would cause Mr. Kennedy to do something so extraordinarily imprudent? He's no fool. He's been on the bench a long, long time. Surely he could have waited another six to eight months in order to see the outcome of the elections. The meltdown in the mainstream media was so thorough that some likened it to a seismic legal and political tsunami, while others likened it to a political Chernobyl. Others likened the fight over Mr. Trump's nominee to the Spanish Civil War. There were those who had urged and even begged Justice Kennedy not to resign while Mr. Trump was president in an effort to keep Kennedy's swing vote in play until more favorable secular circumstances could arise. But none of those efforts were effective. Kennedy resigned anyway. This suggests an unseen hand in play. The progressives in America panicked. Planned Parenthood Action, the pro-abortion rights group, said, With Kennedy retiring, the right to access abortion in this country is on the line. Don't take our word for it. Any abortion groups are explicitly saying this seat is the moment to overturn Roe. This is what is at stake. Trump promised to overturn Roe versus Wade, they added, and his lower court nominees are making this nightmare a reality. We can expect the next SCOTUS nominee to be no different. Then CNN's Supreme Court reporter Joan Biskupic said, It's really a blockbuster. It really makes a difference that Donald Trump is getting the nomination because 
Well, okay, we've been through the, you know, gay rights, affirmative action, death penalty issues. Justice Kennedy has been key. Jeffrey Tobin on CNN said, Now the issue of the same-sex marriage itself appears to be largely settled. But the issue coming up is when can people, with the permission of the courts, discriminate against gay people? The Kate case, which the justices sort of dodged, but those cases are coming back. The conservative movement in this country wants to allow religious people to say, you can't buy a cake from me, you can't stay in my motel, you can't go to my restaurant. That's the cases that are coming down the pike, and those cases are going to be much more likely to be upheld. The discrimination against gay people is more likely to be upheld than with Kennedy on the court. You see, secularists think that Kennedy was their man. But was he really? I now wonder if he was fulfilling a larger agenda. Whatever the case, progressives in the mainstream media are fearful that under a more conservative court, Christians will be able to discriminate against gay people in the marketplace on the basis of their religious objections. They are afraid that Christians will get their way and be able to restrict abortions. They are afraid that Christian conservatives will be able to enact and enforce religious laws, among other things. This is huge, said another progressive, as it will likely turn the tables against the liberal agenda for a long time to come. Democrats are running so scared of what may come that they have all but forgotten about Stormy Daniels, the prostitute that claimed to have had an affair with Donald Trump many years ago. They'd been attempting to use her to tarnish Mr. Trump's credibility, which wasn't working. Now their attention was fixed on the bombshell resignation of Justice Kennedy and the open seat on the U.S. Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, with the appointment of Neil Gorsuch at the beginning of Mr. Trump's term, maintained the status quo. Gorsuch, a reliably conservative justice, replaced another reliably conservative justice, Antonin Scalia. Now American progressives are fearful that Mr. Trump's nominee to replace Kennedy, Brett Kavanaugh, another reliably conservative judge, will shift the court solidly to the right of center, more in line with Christian conservatives, and will undo the hard work and painstaking progress that liberals have made over the last five decades. And this is what has progressives fuming and making irresponsible statements. But it is also a standing tribute to the strength of the principles of the U.S. Constitution that it has taken 40 to 50 years for progressives just to get where they are today. It also suggests how fragile their secular empire really is. And you can sense their desperation over the impending loss of their leftist and secular social construct in the -the over-the-top caricatures the mainstream media uses that not only disrespect Mr. Trump, but the presidency itself. But the passion over the next Supreme Court justice is only just beginning, my friends. In the background is an 84-year-old liberal justice, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. What if she resigns at some point in time? If her health holds up, she could see out Mr. Trump's term, hoping that another progressive president will replace him. But if Mr. Trump should get a second term, she would be over 90 by the time it ended. Ginsburg is Jewish. She was encouraged to resign under Mr. Obama in various ways in order that he could nominate a young progressive to the court. 
which would have guaranteed her liberal seat for a long time to come. But she decided to hang on anyway, much to the concern of the liberals. Conservative Judge Janine Pirro, Fox News legal commentator, said the good news is that if there is another retirement on the Supreme Court while Donald Trump is president, we have the ability to take that Supreme Court in a direction for a generation. And that's important stuff. It is critical to this country right now. And conservatives see their opportunity. Southern Baptist megachurch pastor Robert Jeffress, one of Mr. Trump's key advisors, is ecstatic about Mr. Trump's pick for the Supreme Court. This remaking of the judiciary is going to shift the direction of our country dramatically, he said in his belief that Mr. Trump will nominate a constitutionalist. It's going to cement his legacy as a conservative, and I believe it will ensure his re-election. Then he added, he has the guts to push forward in this. He knows the number one reason evangelicals voted for him in the largest margin in history was because of his commitment to a conservative judiciary, adding that a conservative court will either overturn Roe v. Wade or at least greatly diminish its importance and its power. Conservative Mark Levin said something that has me thinking about how God's people will be viewed when they oppose the conservative steamroller to legalize a Sunday law designed to get liberals and leftists back into church. They will accuse God's people of siding with the progressives, even though they actually follow the Bible. Here's what he said. All these never-Trumpers out there, these former Bush administration officials or pseudo-conservatives who have been trashing this president left and right, I don't mean just disagreeing with him here and there, but wishing him failure, trying to sabotage him, joining in with the left. Shame on them, shame on them. Those who oppose religious laws designed to bring progressives back to God will likely be accused of keeping America from fulfilling God's will and from rising to global power. They will demand national unity around the shrine of Sunday worship. That's when the law will be invoked against Sabbath keepers with severe penalties for disobedience. Needless to say, if Hillary Clinton was president, she would be replacing both Scalia and Kennedy with a reliable liberal. And she might have had a stronger chance of replacing Justice Ginsburg, too, which would have cemented a liberal court for a very long time to come. But Bible prophecy suggests a completely different outcome. God's Word tells us that it will be right-leaning Protestant America that will unite with Rome to enact worship laws. It will not be a progressive leader or liberal justices that will bring in the Sunday law. It is a government and justice system with a right-leaning religious ideology that does that. The probable new Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh is a Roman Catholic who will replace a Roman Catholic. But what is more important, he graduated from high school at the Jesuit Georgetown Preparatory School, so he knows the Jesuits well. Kavanaugh has impeccable credentials as a conservative justice. With his law degree from Yale, he has served on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals since 2006. Prior to that, he was a legal secretary in the George W. Bush administration. He even clerked for Justice Anthony Kennedy. The record of his ruling suggested that he is likely to support restrictions on abortion, immigration, and contraception. He is also likely to oppose discrimination against Christianity and support general religious liberty in the marketplace. 
All of these things would be very welcome to conservative Christians. More importantly, Kavanaugh will likely have an outsized influence on the direction of the court and will very likely redirect the court toward a more rightward heading. Under the guidance of the unseen hand, Mr. Trump has been picking judges that are constitutionalists, which is great news on many issues. This will be very welcome by politically-minded American evangelicals, and their satisfaction is the nightmare of the liberals and is certainly unwelcome by the mainstream media, whose influence on American politics continues to wane. Now think about the progress of nominating Justice Brett Kavanaugh, which is at the center of the prophetic issues. I said earlier that there is a guiding hand that is manipulating the outcome, and it is in the process that gives opportunity for the hidden hand to work. You may think I'm just a conspiracy theorist, but I will show you that there is an organization that is working behind the scenes to transform the courts into conservative enclaves designed to infuse the Roman Catholic ideal of a united church and state, even in Protestant America. That organization, guided by Rome, is the Federalist Society, which is a small secretive network of conservative Catholics who are already responsible for placing three justices on the Supreme Court, Samuel Alito, John Roberts, and Neil Gorsuch. And they are poised to seat their fourth justice. Yet, Few people know who they are. The Federalist Society is becoming the pipeline to federal judgeships for all of Mr. Trump's nominees. The puppet master, when a conservative president needs a justice, is Leonard Leo, the executive vice president of the Federalist Society. Even though he is the executive vice president, his influence on judicial picks is enormous. Leo is a deeply committed Roman Catholic who is very conservative. His Catholic faith is key to understanding him. He attends Mass almost every day. He strongly supports Rome's public conservative agenda. Leo is also a member of the very secretive Knights of Malta, a Catholic order founded in the 12th century. The very wealthy Knights of Malta have their own diplomatic corps and are very supportive of Rome. Leo played a leading role in placing dozens of life-tenured judges in the federal courts, and through the Judicial Crisis Network, an organization he controls, steered the very effective Republican opposition to Mr. Obama's nominee to the Supreme Court, Judge Merrick Garland, as well as other nominees to the lower courts, leaving Mr. Trump with an unprecedented number of open seats on the federal bench. Leonard Leo also heavily influences the Beckett Fund, a Roman Catholic law firm named for the famous Catholic martyr Thomas Beckett. The Beckett Fund represented Hobby Lobby in its successful challenge of the contraceptive mandate of Mr. Obama's Affordable Care Act. Leo also supervises admissions and hires at the George Mason School of Law in Arlington, Virginia, just outside Washington, D.C., this school has recently been renamed Antonin Scalia Law School to memorialize Scalia's influence on American law and jurisprudence, but also as a statement of its conservative principles. The conservative Charles Cook Foundation recently gave the school $10 million, provided the name would be changed. Another $20 million was given from an anonymous donor, but was raised by Leonard Leo, giving him significant influence on the Antonin Scalia Law School. 
Apparently, Leonard Leo figured out that conservatives had lost the culture war and that unless something was done to stem the tide, nothing would turn America back to its cultural roots. So Leo set out to use the Federalist Society to stack the courts with conservative judges. He has succeeded in his mission with few people taking notice. Tom Carter, who served as Leo's media relations director when he was chairman of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, said the Christian right has been written about a lot, but hardly anyone talks about the Catholic right. Four Supreme Court justices. They're more successful than anybody. The NRA, the National Rifle Association, the Israel Lobby, Big Pharma, no one else has had that kind of impact. Leo's Catholic faith is paramount to him, said Carter. When he traveled, staff members had to find him a church near where he was staying so he could attend Mass every day. So Leo's influence on the courts is largely inspired and instructed by his dedication to his Catholic faith, and Leo has spent a career shaping the federal judiciary to reflect conservative religious beliefs, those of the Catholic faith. These include some that God's people can support, including that human life begins its conception and that homosexuality is immoral. But these views are based on the Roman Catholic concept of natural law as well, which says that the laws of nature supersede human law. This in turn gives the Catholic Church the theological basis to claim that since they are Christ's vicegerent on earth, their judgment concerning natural law overrules human or secular laws. Justices who believe in this concept of natural law would see the world through conservative eyes. The Federalist Society grooms conservative law students still in law school. They sponsor everything from free burrito lunches to conferences, speakers, and journals. Their purpose is to link the students together, mentor them, find them jobs, and eventually place them in courts and in the government all the while bonding them to their large-scale fraternity knitted together on conservative ideology. The society has over 70,000 members, and they are financially loaded with $25 million in net assets. All but one of 25 people on Mr. Trump's published list of potential Supreme Court nominees are members or affiliates of the Federalist Society, including Justice Gorsuch. At the time I prepared this message, of the 18 Trump nominees to federal appeals courts, 17 of them are Federalist Society members or affiliates. Don McGahn, White House counsel and point man on judicial nominees, is also a Roman Catholic trained at Notre Dame and Jesuit Georgetown Law. He confirmed the connection to the Federalist Society. He said that the choice of nominees has not been outsourced to unrelated entities, but rather insourced through insiders. And since he too is a member of the Federalist Society, he would know. In other words, the connections between the Roman Catholic Federalist Society and the Trump administration are very close. Let us come back to the Judicial Crisis Network or the JCN organization. It is run by Carrie Severino, also a Roman Catholic, whose husband runs the Office for Civil Rights at the Department of Health and Human Services. JCN is a 501c4 organization, which means that its financial records are largely hidden from public view. It uses that status to raise dark money. 
to support and promote conservative judicial and legal causes. For instance, JCN spent millions of dollars on local judicial and attorney campaigns across the United States, which swung judicial elections in Wisconsin, Michigan, and California. JCN is also one of the top three funders of the Republican Attorney General Association. It has also donated a million dollars to the National Rifle Association. In other words, this organization, run by Roman Catholics, supports judicial and legal conservatives for public office and promotes gun rights. It also opposes progressive judicial appointments such as Merrick Garland, on which, by the way, it spent $17 million. During the confirmation hearing of Neil Gorsuch, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse said, There's a group of billionaires who are working very hard to influence and even control our democracy. They set up an array of benign-sounding front groups to both organize and conceal their manipulations of our politics. In essence, the Federalist Society is a cater of conservative Catholics, and it creates the pool of conservative judges and its sister organization, the JCN, promotes and finances them for appointment or election. Both organizations are intimately involved in the Trump administration's nominations for federal judgeships. Leonard Leo effectively manages both organizations, which work out of the same office and are funded by the money he raises. He stays in the shadows and gets a lot done without having it traced back to him, leaving no fingerprints. Leo is also involved in raising dark money. This is talking about money for which there is no clear trail. It is often used for purposes that buy influence and power. The Beckett Fund is that Roman Catholic law firm that represented Hobby Lobby, an evangelical company that won the right for closely held companies to be exempt from the contraceptive mandate in Mr. Trump's Affordable Care Act. Contraception is not something that most evangelicals are concerned about. But it is a Roman Catholic issue, and the Beckett Fund places Catholic concerns at its center of attention. That's why it took on Hobby Lobby in the first place. Leo has been instrumental in raising money for the Beckett Fund and saved the organization financially at least twice before Hobby Lobby. Leo raised that $20 million for the Scalia Law School. and Publicly, it was an unknown source. But it eventually emerged that the funds came from the BH Fund, of which Leo is president. The BH Fund is a shell company, and its donors remain anonymous. In other words, the $20 million was money that Leo raised and supervised himself. Consequently, Leo is welcome to consult the university on developing programs, hiring faculty, admitting prospective students, and placing students in federal clerkships, Leo has intervened multiple times at the university to promote curricula on law and economics in favor of conservatives and Catholic issues. Much of this could well be in violation of ethical standards of academic independence, in which donors should not influence curriculum or faculty choices. Rather than grooming law students, however, at universities all over the country, Leo now has a law school of his own. Behind Leo stands a network of dark money funders in socially and economically conservative arenas. One of them is the Wellspring Committee, which gets money from the Cook Foundation like other Cook-related groups. 
These groups pass money between themselves in a labyrinthine way to avoid accountability. Wellspring, for instance, raised $24 million between 2008 and 2011, of which it distributed over $17 million, largely to other shell organizations. And because it is classified as a social welfare organization, it is impossible to know exactly where the money is coming from or going. The Supreme Court's purpose is to uphold and defend the Constitution, but many justices, even conservative ones, that are more sympathetic with the progressive agenda have not fulfilled their oath. They believe they have to interpret the Constitution according to the times, not according to the original intent of the framers. That's why today there is so much discussion about originalism and textualism. Conservatives want the court to return to interpreting the U.S. founding document according to its own original intent and according to its text. But even conservative presidents like George W. Bush have undermined original intent, which, for instance, has gutted the U.S. Constitution's protections for individual rights in the name of fighting terrorism. This has to happen to weaken the Constitution so that religious liberty and other key protections could be attacked. And they were, under Mr. Obama's tenure as president. And while there are those that would defend Leonard Leo's motives and actions, and while many of them are appropriate from a general ecumenical and religious point of view, the underlying guiding hand in politics is the prophetic point to be made and understood. It is so integrated now that in American politics, no one, except the student of Bible prophecy, can see it for what it is. For the common good, Rome works through organizations, agencies, and individuals using good causes to achieve her darker purposes, that is, to control the religious behavior of America's citizens. It is similar to the problem of terrorism. Constitutional rights are gutted in the name of fighting a larger evil. In this case, in the name of fighting a wickedly liberal left, Christians will eventually remove religious liberty protections and in the opposite extreme also gut the right to freedom of conscience in order to get America back to God. The Bible makes it clear that evangelicals and Roman Catholics will work together to enforce worship laws, and this is being staged right now. The religious right, mostly made up of evangelicals and conservative Catholics, is increasing in power. Will this political phenomena just be a blip on the radar once another progressive becomes president one day? Or is this a more permanent turn in American politics to a more religious government with a united church and state? It can only be evangelicals and Roman Catholics working together that can impose a worship law on God's people. And it will be very difficult to do. The religious liberty tradition of the United States will stand strongly against the tsunami of pressure on government leaders to enact such a Sunday law. But when Papists and Protestants unite together under severe pressure from huge and unrelenting natural disasters, they will overcome this powerful bar barrier. There is a familiar statement in the book Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 4, page 425. As the controversy extends into new fields, and the minds of the people are called to God's downtrodden law, Satan is astir. The power attending the message will only madden those who oppose it. The clergy will put forth almost superhuman efforts to shut away the light, lest it should shine upon their flocks. 
By every means at their command, they will endeavor to suppress the discussion of these vital questions. The Church appeals to the strong arm of civil power, and in this work, papists are solicited to come to the help of Protestants. Roman Catholic bishops, priests, advisors, and specialists have been very active in the background in guiding evangelicals in their political achievements, and who have let evangelicals take the public lead. And now they are waiting for them to invite the bishops to help them work for the enforcement of Sunday laws. It will be very difficult for evangelicals to do it alone. After all, the deep state, which are entrenched left-leaning bureaucrats that have been in government for many years, and the sheer progressive momentum are huge obstacles to overcome. And the battle is pitched indeed. The stealthy but rapid progress of Rome in pushing America first so far to the left that it is not recognizable anymore, then so far to the right that it will lead to national apostasy, is now being played out in the rise of religious power in American politics and in the courts. But since they have become friends with Roman Catholics and have in, united with them in other matters, it will be easy for evangelicals to invite the bishops, priests, and members to unite with them to strengthen the pressure on legislators to enact and enforce Sunday worship laws. After all, Rome has a lot of experience with them. The Red Mass, conducted every year for the Supreme Court, and other judges, lawyers, law school professors, law students, and government officials, many of whom are lawyers as well, is a tradition that began in 1245, which was in the high Middle Ages in Europe. That was when the church controlled the state and persecuted the followers of God's holy law, who refused to unite with Rome. This was the time when the Waldenses knew the meaning of the phrase, to wear out the saints of the Most High, Daniel 7.25. This was the time when the Holy Roman Empire was reaching its zenith. The Red Mass is all about the unity of the church and state. It was designed to be very impressive with all the red vestments and other beautiful regalia. The gold and silver also increased the beauty of the scene. But the intention of the Red Mass is to invoke the Holy Spirit on all leaders of government. The special prayers, impressive as they are, are intended to draw the legal profession and anyone involved into the bosom of the Catholic Church so that they will also do Rome's bidding since Rome claims to dispense the Holy Spirit. Kennedy himself, a Roman Catholic, no doubt attended the Red Mass many times. Do you think that with the majority of the court being Roman Catholic that the justices will not come to the aid of Protestants when solicited to do so? So when there is a lot of pressure to enact Sunday laws, do you think the courts will uphold the Constitution? Or will they justify the enactment of Sunday laws and the civil penalties that go with them? I believe the latter, based on the trajectory of Bible prophecy. I should also point out that the Bible predicts that in the last days the judges of the Supreme Court, not only in America, but the high courts all around the world, will support the New World Order religion. It's found in Daniel chapter 3, verse 2. Notice that this verse, though telling a prophetic story, reveals that all levels of governance and law will come to bear upon God's people. It was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that were the focus of the imperial decree. And everyone else obeyed the law, 
even their fellow Hebrews bowed and worshipped according to the king's decree or his executive order in modern parlance. This story is a prophetic prototype of what will happen in the last days. Here is verse 2. Notice who was there on the plain of Dura in support of Nebuchadnezzar's world order and its religion. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the lawyers, that is, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Notice that the behind-the-scenes elites, or the princes in the Daniel story, supported the New World Order. So did the governors over territories and bureaucracies, the military, the central banks, the lawyers or counselors, and the police, not to mention all the other rulers of the provinces, both small and great. All of them came to support the New World Order religion. Last but not least, verse 4 tells us, And Herald cried aloud, and gave instructions to all the people, this is the media, my friends, and today it is clear that the media are the voice that conveys new laws and executive orders to the public, whether they agree with them or not. The Word of God stands above the Supreme Court of the United States. The Bible tells us what to expect of the Supreme Court in matters of faith and the law of God. You can hope and pray, and the Lord may hear your prayers and delay the inevitable, but soon that conservative court will have a new judge that will take the court in a conservative direction that for the time being will do some very good things for America, but will also one day support a Sunday law and the penalties that go with it, even the death penalty. And when the nation's citizens under great pressure from their religious leaders who claim that the natural disasters that destroy some of America's largest cities are judgments of God and demand a Sunday law, they will comply. And no matter how constitutionalist they may be, and no matter how many good things they do in the name of the Constitution, they will buckle under that kind of pressure. Of all the conservative judges that President Trump has been nominating to the federal courts, and that the Republican Senate is confirming, how many of them do you know and understand? Many of them are no doubt Christians, and their Christian heritage teaches them that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. To them, to support a legislative Sunday law would seem as natural as taking a breath. If you are relying on the Supreme Court or the federal courts to protect your rights, think again. Only Christ can protect your rights. Only Christ will stand by your side in the courtroom. Only Christ will give you convicting words that will cut to the heart of those who hear your testimony. Conservative courts and judges can actually be rather oppressive when they want to. And if you stand in opposition to the law that is near and dear to their hearts, what do you think will be their view of you? Prophetically speaking, we face a future that sees a SCOTUS making some very welcome decisions, such as limits on abortion and restoring religious liberty in regard to same-sex marriage, among other matters. But there are other decisions that will likely impinge on more dangerous matters, such as the death penalty, Sunday legislation, and your right to exercise your faith according to your Bible and your conscience. You're going to need a powerful spiritual companion, my friends. That companion is Christ. And you need to unite to Christ through the Bible. The success of confirming Judge Kavanaugh depends on how well the Federalist Society can market him, as much as on how the Republicans can overcome Democratic resistance to Mr. Trump's nomination. 
This is certainly easier while the Republicans control the Senate, which reviews and confirms nominees. As political dignitaries, whether they be Catholic or Protestant, collaborate with church dignitaries, whether they be Catholic or Protestant, the stage is being set to fulfill one of the Bible's most compelling end-time prophecies, the mixing of church and state to make America a religious nation with religious laws, which a future solidly conservative Supreme Court will likely uphold in a rather tumultuous and stressful time. Politically, Democrats undermined religious freedom during the previous administration. Republicans, in the name of restoring religious liberty, will not stop at re-centering American political order. We are advised in the book of Revelation that they will go to the other extreme and force worship on the nation and even persuade through their fellow religious leaders in other countries to follow their example. Listen to it from Revelation 13, verse 12. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. You see, these religious and political dignitaries will exercise persecuting power, the same power that Rome exercised in the Middle Ages in the Old World. And if you're paying attention to the prophecies, not the politics, you can actually see them doing it. I'm wondering if the angels holding back the winds of strife have received instructions to give permission to the religious right to rise to power permanently. Perhaps not, but one does wonder how soon that time will come. It will have to, eventually, for Revelation 13's prophetic proclamations to come true. That's what makes the upcoming midterm elections in November so gripping. It's not the politics so much as it is the prophecies. If, for instance, the Republicans retain control of both houses of the U.S. Congress, Mr. Trump and his evangelical and Catholic allies will have a free hand to make a lot of progress in swinging America back to the right, in setting the stage for final conflict as predicted in Bible prophecy. I'm amazed at how accurate Bible prophecy really is. If the Republicans do not retain control of the House of Representatives or the Senate, Nominations such as Justice Kennedy's replacement and other conservative initiatives will be much more difficult. If they do retain control, it will add credibility to the idea that the throne room has permitted a permanent change in the political order. I am praying that God will do what is best for his work and for his church. And what is even more amazing is that there are those who know these things and have heard them all of their lives, but now, at the very time when these prophecies are coming to pass, they ridicule the idea of the last generation. They mock at the idea of a remnant church. They make sport with the idea that there are a special people that God will use to vindicate his character, and some of them are in seminaries and in other places of leadership. They should know better but they have chosen to disbelieve and will be swept away in the coming maelstrom of conflict. I hope you're not one of them. Students of prophecy should be watching very carefully to see what the angels of heaven are doing. Remember, they are the ones that control the winds of strife. They're the ones who speak in the ears of legislative assemblies. They are the ones that guide the affairs of nations on behalf of the Supreme Court of the universe. When is your name coming up before that court? When is my name coming up? I don't know when the judgment of the living will start, but I believe that we are not far off, especially if the rise of evangelical power is not limited by elections or other key factors anymore. 
We'll have to wait and see about that. We're transforming the court system of this country, said Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader at a conference in Washington, D.C. called The Road to Majority. He also said that Republicans have appointed one-eighth of the circuit court judges in America in the last year and a half, thanks to Mr. Trump, and that we've been confirming them in record numbers. Then he added, of all the things that we're doing, the things that will have the longest impact on the country are the court systems, and these men and women the president has been sending up, and we've been confirming, are not very old either. Vice President Mike Pence added to the enthusiasm by saying that the administration and the Republican-controlled Congress set a record for the most Court of, of Appeals judges confirmed to our federal courts in a single year in American history. And that doesn't even count Justice Neil Gorsuch. And Senator Chuck Grassley told the Road to Majority that the Senate was confirming Trump's judges like a submachine gun. The goal of the conservatives who support and advise Mr. Trump want to end the progressive state. And while that may sound like a leftist comment, it happens to be in line with prophecy. And that is what all the conservative judicial appointments are about. All of this is why the left is panicking about Justice Kennedy's retirement. They see the writing on the wall. The main reason why evangelicals supported Mr. Trump en masse is the judiciary. They're tired of judges who advance the liberal agenda by decisions that run against their religious freedom. They have struck down duly enacted laws, rewritten long-standing legislation, ignored centuries of precedent, and have codified their pet policy objectives through legal imposition. Liberal judges have redefined the role of a judge or justice from that of an umpire to that of a ruler, which is precisely why they are so utterly panicked about one old judge retiring from the Supreme Court. But make no mistake about it, conservatives will do the very same thing when they perceive that it is necessary, and you can be sure that the enemy will give them a reason to do so in due time. It is on the law of God that the last great struggle of the controversy between Christ and his angels and Satan and his angels will come, and it will be decisive for all the world. Men in responsible positions will not only ignore and despise the Sabbath themselves, but from the sacred desk will urge upon the people the observance of the first day of the week, pleading tradition and custom in behalf of this man-made institution. They will point to calamities on land and sea, to the storms of wind and the floods, the earthquakes, the destruction by fire as judgments, indicating God's displeasure because Sunday is not sacredly observed." These calamities will increase more and more. One disaster will follow close on the heels of another, and those who make void the law of God will point to the few who are keeping the Sabbath of the fourth commandment as the ones who are bringing wrath upon the world. This falsehood is Satan's device that he may ensnare the unwary. That's from the Southern Watchman, June 28, 1904. Are you unwary, my friend? Please don't be one of them. Let us pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we see the underlying prophetic changes taking place in our society. We are seriously concerned that many will be lost because they do not see these things. But you have your children everywhere. Please help us find them and reach them with the truth for our times. Please help us to shine your light 
around us at all times that all may know that we love you and that we are your messengers. I don't know how it's all going to play out, but I want to be part of the latter reign. Please, Father, we all want to be part of that wonderful movement that will bring thousands into your fold. So help us learn to live like Jesus. Help us to use our time and our talents in your cause. And we'll praise you through all eternity for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
We hope that you've been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you so much for your support. If you've been impressed by this message and it has stirred and blessed your soul, please consider making a gift to help some other poor souls find their way to heaven through the CDs from Keep the Faith. The song you have just heard is called He Hideth My Soul, played by Henry Higgins. The song is recorded on a CD with other lovely hymns and songs called Day by Day. This lovely CD is available from Keep the Faith Ministry. If you would like to have a copy of this CD or copies for your friends or family, just send $16 each postpaid to U.S. addresses to cover the cost, and we'll gladly send them. Please mention the day-by-day CD. Our international listeners should send $20 USD. I should point out that we have these CDs in Australia, which we will send to you for $20 AUD. The following is our monthly prophetic intelligence briefing a feature that brings you current events in light of Bible prophecy, especially for those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. We can see the signs of the times telling us that we are nearing the world's great crisis. May the Lord find us faithful. Our first item this month, Argentina's House narrowly passes expanded abortion bill. In a session that lasted more than 20 hours, Argentina's House of Representatives passed a bill that would legalize abortion in the first trimester by a vote of 129 to 125, with one abstention. Current law only allows abortion in cases where the life or health of the mother is endangered, or in cases of rape, which essentially allows wide latitude among practitioners already. The bill will now be sent to the Senate and then to the President, Mauricio Macri, who has encouraged responsible debate over the topic. Macri personally opposes the legislation, but will not veto it if Congress approves it. The new bill would allow abortion on demand up to the 14th week of gestation. Minors under 16 could get an abortion without having to inform their parents. Healthcare workers under the bill could be eligible for conscience-based objections to participating in an abortion if they make such a request in advance, individually and in writing, to the director of their medical center. Institutions and healthcare facilities as a whole would not be allowed to conscientiously object to abortion. Pro-life groups said the courage of the representatives who rose up in defense of women and unborn children, raising their voices for those whom others want to silence with their systematic elimination. They also said the Argentine Senate will have the opportunity to correct this dangerous threat to human rights and to honor the will of the nation's people. Because iniquity shall abound, The love of many shall wax cold, Matthew 24, verse 12. Next, McConnell says we are transforming the court system of this country. The prevailing theme of the Road to Majority Conference this year was the aggressive takeover of the court system of the United States by conservatives. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell was perhaps the most enthusiastic and certainly the most self-satisfied about the Trump-appointed judges being rapidly confirmed. He told conference attendees that the single most consequential decision I've made in my entire political career was to not let Barack Obama fill that Antonin Scalia vacancy on the way out the door, for which he received a thunderous ovation from the audience. McConnell said he has seen similar wins in the lower courts and pointing out that Republicans have confirmed one-eighth of the circuit court judges in America in the last year and a half, thanks to U.S. President Donald Trump. Admirers of Justice Scalia are all over the country now, and I've been seeing them 
as the president sends up circuit judges we've been confirming in record numbers, McConnell said. Then he added, we are transforming the court system of this country. Of all the things we are doing, the things that will have the longest impact on the country are the court systems. And these men and women the president has been sending up and we've been confirming are not very old either, McConnell said. Late 40s, early 50s, chances are they will be on there for a very long time. Most cases don't reach the Supreme Court, so the circuit courts are really where most complex cases end. Talk about judges was a prevailing talking point at the conference. Vice President Mike Pence told attendees that Trump had appointed strong conservatives to our federal courts at every level. In fact, this year, Pence said, this president and our administration, with the strong support of the Republican majority in the United States Senate, set a record for the most Court of Appeals judges confirmed to our federal courts in a single year in American history. And that doesn't even count Justice Neil Gorsuch. We have a Supreme Court justice. We have over 40 federal judges that have been appointed to the district, the circuit, the appeals courts, said Representative Marsha Blackburn. One-eighth of the U.S. Circuit Court Judiciary right now is a Donald Trump appointee, nominee, and we've only been here for 16 months, said Kellyanne Conway, advisor to President Trump. That's an incredible thing, and that's the way you see a lasting legacy. That's the way you see a legacy long after he leaves the presidency six and a half years from now. Representative Kevin McCarthy said, we've appointed more judges and we need more that believe in the Constitution, not one or somebody who's going to reinterpret the Constitution. At a meeting on Capitol Hill, Senator Chuck Grassley told Road to Majority attendees that the Senate was confirming Trump's judges like a submachine gun. It's because previous presidents didn't work as hard as this president's staff to get them reviewed and get them out. Making the courts more conservative is one of the keys to making America more religious. Will these courts eventually uphold worship laws? Liberal judges are more likely to resist forcing religion on America. Nebuchadnezzar included the judges in his New World Order religious worship on the plain of Dura and insisted on them attending the worship of the great image which he had built. Will the Trump judges support the New World Order religious laws predicted in Revelation 13? Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Daniel 3, verse 2. Next, police used biometric technologies running ahead of the law. At a time when biometric technologies are being developed more rapidly than government laws designed to guide its use, Police forces in Great Britain are using the technology without legal guidance. This is stirring fears that the use of automated facial recognition to identify people in crowds and from CCTV footage is illegal surveillance, and it can take up to five years for the government to develop guidance. Technical development and deployment is running ahead of legislation, which is why the Home Office's promised biometric strategy is urgently needed. Biometrics Commissioner Professor Paul Weil said, Biometrics are any measurable biological feature which can be used to identify individuals, including the shape of people's fingerprints and the code of their DNA. 
Scientific advancements mean that computers can now also differentiate the unique qualities in people's voices, their irises, their faces, and even their gait. There is a worrying vacuum of regulation covering how police are using new technologies to identify members of the public, Professor Wiles warned. The recently released Commissioner's Annual Report for 2017 says that although police are largely compliant with the laws governing the retention of DNA and fingerprints, the quality of this legislation is lacking. In spite of a high court ruling that it was illegal to permanently hold facial images of Britons who had never been charged or convicted of a crime, there are millions of images on the police national database, hundreds of thousands of which are innocent people. And the Home Office is developing new databases to centralize the data it holds on the public. The Home Office is not providing the oversight needed to make sure that the data is handled properly. Biometrics are beginning to play an integral role in our day-to-day -day lives as a method of keeping our identity and data secure and as a way of law enforcement picking us out of a crowd, said Renate Sampson, data and privacy consultant. The government has for years failed to provide a legal framework for the use of biometrics as technologies have rapidly advanced. Surveillance and biometric identity is a powerful tool of control. It will one day soon likely be used to marginalize those who refuse to obey man-made worship laws. It is easy to see how biometrics can be used to prevent God's people from buying and selling. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Revelation 13, 15-17. Next, Pope Francis in Geneva. Real ecumenism puts Christ over division. Lack of unity among Christians is not only openly contrary to the will of Christ, but is also a scandal to the world and harms the most holy of causes. The preaching of the gospel to every creature, said Pope Francis on June 21. Pope Francis landed in Geneva for a day trip aimed at bolstering ecumenical relations, saying off the bat that division among Christians is born from worldliness, and Christ must be prioritized over any differences that might get in the way of unity. The ecumenical movement is founded on the principle of a focus on the common points of doctrine between all Christians, and the setting aside of all doctrinal differences, no matter how important from a biblical point of view. Even the biblical Seventh-day Sabbath, enshrined in the Ten Commandments, is laid aside in favor of a fake Sabbath, otherwise known as Sunday observance. This false doctrine is at the foundation of the common teachings among most Christian denominations and is a core teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. In his first official speech after touching down, the Pope said Christians are called to walk together along the path of the Spirit, which means rejecting worldliness and opting for a mindset of service and growing in forgiveness, said Francis. It means playing our part in history but in God's good time, not letting ourselves be caught up in the whirlwind of corruption, but advancing calmly on the way whose signposts is the one commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Pope Francis is misquoting Christ by saying that loving your neighbor is the one commandment. Jesus said there are two commandments, 
and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. The Ten Commandments are summarized by this statement of Jesus. Pope Francis misapplied Paul's writings by saying, Each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? What modern Christians are asked to do, Francis said, is to belong to Jesus before belonging to Apollos or Cephas, to belong to Christ before being a Jew or Greek, to belong to the Lord before identifying with left or right, to choose in the name of the gospel our brother or our sister over ourselves. Pope Francis spoke to participants in an ecumenical prayer gathering during his June 21 visit to Geneva for the 70th anniversary of the World Council of Churches. Founded in 1948, the World Council of Churches, or the WCC, is a global fellowship of churches seeking to foster unity among different Christian confessions and has some 348 members worldwide. Members are present in 110 countries and represent more than 500 million Christians, including Orthodox, Anglican, Baptist, Lutheran, and Methodist churches, as well as many Reformed, United, and Independent churches. How difficult it is to overcome hard feelings and to foster communion. How hard it is to leave behind centuries-old disagreements and mutual recriminations, he said. The fact that there are still considerable disagreements after more than 500 years since the Reformation is clear evidence that Bible truth is very powerful. The papal attempt to overcome Bible truth by the papal social agenda and ecumenism still faces resistance. Speaking of the differences as a mere partisan distinction, Pope Francis said it is more formidable to withstand the subtle temptation to join others, to walk together, but for the sake of satisfying some partisan interest. And turning Bible belief on its head, Pope Francis compared those who love Bible truth more than ecumenical unity to Judas. However, this is not the mindset of an apostle, but is the attitude of Judas, who walked alongside Jesus, but for his own purposes. In other words, those who do not join the ecumenical movement are to be condemned as Judas was. Uniting with the ecumenical movement has stripped Protestants of their biblical voice of protest to the perversions and idolatry of the Roman Catholic Church. The wide diversity of belief in the Protestant churches is regarded by many as decisive proof that no effort to secure a forced uniformity can ever be made. But there has been for years in churches of the Protestant faith a strong and growing sentiment in favor of a union based upon common points of doctrine. To secure such a union, the discussion of subjects on which all were not agreed, however important they might be from a Bible standpoint, must necessarily be waived. That's The Great Controversy, page 444. Next. Pope meets Governor-General of Australia. On June 25, Pope Francis received an audience in the Vatican the Governor-General of the Commonwealth of Australia, General Sir Peter Cosgrove. Later, the Governor-General met Vatican Secretary of State Cardinal Pietro Parolin, accompanied by the Vatican Secretary for Relations with States, Archbishop Paul Gallagher. During the cordial discussion, the themes of migration at both global and regional levels and climate change were considered. 
a Vatican statement said after the meetings. Mention was also made of the role of the church in Australian society and the current discussion on the protection of minors and vulnerable people, reiterating the commitment of all members of the church in this regard. The two sides also reviewed the social situation of Australia and the question of peace and stability in the entire region of the Pacific and of Asia. Australia's formal name is the Commonwealth of Australia. The Governor General of Australia is the representative of the Australian monarch, currently Queen Elizabeth II of the United Kingdom. The Governor General is appointed by the Queen on the advice of the Prime Minister of Australia. Queen Elizabeth is the head of the Commonwealth of Nations, often known as simply the Commonwealth, an intergovernmental organization of 53 member states that are mostly former territories of the British Empire, including Australia. A retired senior Australian Army officer, Cosgrove is the 26th Governor General of Australia in office since 2014. And all the world wondered after the beast. Revelation 13, verse 3. Unfortunately, our time is up. Remember, there are more prophetic intelligence briefings on our website at ktfnews.com. It's been a great pleasure to spend this time with you. I hope you have been encouraged to live for Jesus, for we are near the end. Remember that God has a plan for your life and that right now you can make a new start with Jesus. Thank you for your prayers and support. And until next time, may God bless and keep you and your family in His loving and protecting care. Keep the faith.